Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You could do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Good morning, UBC. My name is Kate, my pronouns are she and her, and I'm going to share the scripture reading with you this morning. We are reading Romans chapter 8, verses 22 to 39. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not until and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of God's Son, in order that God might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom God predestined, God also called. And those whom God called, God also justified. And those whom God justified, God also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? God who did not withhold God's own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is to condemn? It is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Kate. Good morning. Hi. My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm currently serving as the interim site pastor here at Urban Village Church Edgewater, and I am so darn glad that you are here. It takes, uh, we could have church, just myself and Cece and Kelsey and Kate, but it wouldn't be nearly as full or lovely, and God's spirit probably wouldn't be nearly as poppin' as she is without you here, without you all helping make this place happen. So thanks for being here. Let's pray. 
God, you call us from the depths, breathe life into us, and you give us peace. This world is wild and weird and wandering, this life. And so we offer ourselves and this time to you that we may find rest, but also feel rejuvenated to go forth, being committed to bringing about your love and mercy and justice. And so we pray in the name of our brother and friend, Jesus. Amen. So Paul, this once, one-time killer of Jesus' followers, this once blind but now he sees, this Jesus proclaimer of the gospel, he is pacing back and forth the length of the room. He calls out to a scribe, the one whom Paul shouts his dictations to because this famous letter writer, we probably think, didn't know how to read or write. So he shouts his dictations as he walks up and down. All are free who choose to follow Jesus, he shouts. And he goes along reciting some of these famous sermons he's given over the last few years. This large church he is writing a letter to at the heart of the empire, people he's never even met, but he wants them so much, so dearly to like him. And so he wants to impress them and later to visit them. And so he gets impassioned, built up to say all of the famous and best things he's ever said. At the time when you feel like failing, Paul says, God picks you up, God dusts you off, and then God walks along the way with you. When you feel like you seem like you can't get anything right, when you stumble and then you stand and then you stumble again because you're tired and you're overworked and you can't seem to get yourself together, God comes along and offers you a shoulder and reminds you, this isn't the end. You are not defined by your mistakes. God unconditionally loves you. And as Paul is lecturing on, he gets so built up that he has to pull out his hanky and wipe the sweat off of his brow. He has to emphasize the importance of his words by smacking his hands together and throwing them up and shouting, and he stamps his feet. And then he really wants this Roman church to get his message. And then, you didn't know it, but there were assistants in the corners of the room, those people listening in to make sure he says all the things he meant to say and follow his, uh, his outline. And so they tell him, shouting, keep going, man, you got this. They're his hype people in the corner. And so Paul says, but siblings... We know God's love is real, not an illusion, because while we still couldn't get our act together, God sent God's child to die for us. And then they go wild. Those hype men and women and gender nonconforming people in the corners of the room say, Whoo, come on, brother, come on, shout the truth. They encourage him, and that scribe squiggles and scribbles, just trying to keep up with the excitement of this letter writing. And one of Paul's best supporters, the one who heard him just last week giving a really awesome sermon, he calls back, hearkening a reminder, and he says, Paul, tell him. Tell him, Paul, about the spirit. Tell him about creation, Paul. And though he wasn't planning to do it, Paul takes that hanky. He wipes once again. He calls back to that sermon that he gave about the groaning and the spirit, about death. 
And so Paul redirects his message to include this older sermon, and he begins to chant, this chant of repetition. No, he says, in all things, in all things we are conquerors through him who loved us. And they cry out, yes, yes, they hear these familiar words. No, things present, nor things to come, nor powers. And they say, come on now, feeling the energy and the hope, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And those followers shout, amen. That was good. And so Paul writes, well, he has people help him write because he doesn't know how. And unlike his other messages, he didn't start his letter to the church to Rome saying, I know you, here's who you are and how we're related. Because he doesn't know them and he still wants to impress them. And so he wants to be received well, not remembered as the Jesus follower killer, but as the Jesus follower and champion. Not remembered for his past mistakes, but for the hope he has for the future. And so he lays out his top hits in this letter. The oldies, but the goodies, the best of the best. And he gets the help from his followers reminding him the best of the best. And so Paul, he doesn't deny that suffering happens. In fact, this letter, the letter to the Roman church, is riddled with messages of death and sin and failure. And in fact, what we read today says creation groans. These deep, guttural cries. But those groans are also of suffering, but they're also groans of a hopeful anticipation when suffering will be no more, when death will no longer have its way, when God gets everything God wants. But when? When will God get everything God wants? How much longer do we have to wait? Even the Spirit, Paul says, sighs. Not just a, but a, ugh, with the anticipation of the end of suffering. So this morning, uh, if you didn't know it, we here at Urban Village Church Edgewater are part of this larger network of churches, people who do bold, inclusive, relevant, anti-racist, LGBTQ proclaiming work in the city, all across, all, all neighborhoods of the city are starting a new sermon series called The Bible Doesn't Tell Me So. Kind of uh, going back to Kelsey's uh, testimony and holding the woman's hand singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But also, have you ever been in a situation where somebody says something to you and you go, oh, yeah, the Bible tells me that uh, everything happens for a reason. The Bible tells me that this will come to good. The Bible tells me that God helps those who help themselves. Actually, spoiler alert, not all those are in the Bible. There are so many lies, but also like little platitudes that get written out and stitched on uh, pillows in people's houses, and those are not in the Bible. 
But it's hard to know because the Bible is so big and so expansive and there's a lot of words in there and a lot of them don't make any sense. Don't worry. That's why some of us has to go to seminary. You don't have to figure it out. You're paying me to do that. That's okay. But we're going to be unpacking some of those lies that we have been taught, lies that maybe some of you dearly love because they've gotten you through hard times, but also things that the Bible doesn't tell us. And so... We're dealing this morning with what Paul says. This is actually in the Bible. Paul's saying in this letter to Romans, all things work out for the good. What does that mean? What the heck, Paul? All things work together for good because I don't know about you, but miscarriages don't seem to work for the good. And police officers killing innocent people doesn't seem to work for the good. And leaders who lie and manipulate and usually get away with it, that doesn't seem to work out for the good. So what the heck, Paul? Why stick this throwaway line in this excellent sermon? Why is this line then misused and used in inappropriate ways during times of deep human suffering? So we're going to do a little test. It's not, you're not going to be graded. You don't have to tell anybody your grade at the end, but I, I just want us to play. It's more like a game, not a test. How about that? We're going to throw some uh, quotes up on the screen, and I want you to think, I know, <laughs> is that in the Bible or not? <laughs> you can like do the side eye to your neighbor and be like, do you know? I know. You get extra points in heaven if you know who said it, if it's not in the Bible. Because that's one thing I hope that heaven has, is jewels in our crown. But here we go. The first quote. Is this in the Bible? Everything happens for a reason. And then there's some other things. Sometimes good things fall apart so better things can fall together. No. Anybody know who said that? Marilyn Monroe. What the heck? We are quoting Marilyn Monroe when somebody is having diagnosed with cancer? No. Strike that from your vocabulary. Instead, we have a Bible that validates suffering, that says we should be crying out to God. So our next slide just shows you that part from Job. I cry out to you and you do not answer me. I stand and you merely look at me. Our God can withstand our cries of pain when we feel like punishment is all around us. And so we don't have to say everything happens for a reason, but we can say, why God is this happening? Okay, you ready for the next one? Okay, here it goes. Love, learn to love people and use things and not the other way around. You think that's in the Bible? No. Learn, learn to love people and use things and not the other way around. Anybody know who said that? Uh, Close, Drake. (laughs) (laughs) Musician. 2000s Canadian TV celebrity, you know, your fave and mine. (laughs) Yeah. When in fact, it's kind of a good saying, like learn to love people, but use things. Actually, the Bible is not about using things. This next phrase actually comes from our Bible in Hebrews 13. Keep your lives free from love of money and be content with what you had. For he says, he referring to Jesus, 
I will never leave you or forsake you. Our body is not about using up material things. Okay, you ready? Next one. This one's a trick one. Determine never to be idle. It is wonderful how much may be done if you are always doing. No? Yes. Yes. Do you know who said it in the Bible or otherwise? Solomon? Ecclesiastes? None of those. It was Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) One of our very smart but kind of horrible founders of this nation said in one of his letters, don't ever be idle because our God actually says in Psalm 46, be still. It's okay to be idle because you need to know that I am God. Okay, another trick one. The trick is it's not in the Bible, but you can guess who said it. You ready? Do not dwell in the past. Do not dream of the future. Concentrate the mind on the present moment. What did you say? Oh, Eckert, the guy that uh, Oprah loves. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Any other guesses? It's not in the Bible, y'all. It's Buddha. Buddhism is often about spending moments focusing on the present, but actually our God believes that the past is very important, that the present is where God continually works, but that God has a good ultimate future as well. So we need to be rooted in the past and in the present, in the future. We cannot just be focused on the present. And so God says in Isaiah 25, the Lord of hosts will prepare a future banquet for all peoples on the mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces of marrow, that sounds gross, and refined aged wine, so much wine at God's banquet when God gets everything God wants. Okay, last one. What worries you, masters you. Is that in the Bible? (laughs) Yes? There's no grade. You can say whatever you want here, but the truth is John Locke, English philosopher and physician, actually said that while worries may master you and every tomorrow has worries of its own, our God also says in Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That meaning that our worries are real. You don't have to set them aside, but you can bring them to God. So our sermon series is going to unpack a lot of those lovely but deeply troubling lies, like everything happens for a reason. So no, Marilyn Monroe believed that, and God did not say that. The everything of life is actually cancer and death and natural disasters, and the seemingly never-ending corruption. Those things are real, and those things suck, and they should not happen, not for a reason. And Paul reminds the Romans church in today's passage that suffering is real. In fact, God promises we will suffer, that groaning will not cease, that our sleepless nights and our large tears are real. Because much like the pains of labor, 
We're waiting. We are in a time of anticipation, and labor, I've been told, is terrifying. This new thing growing will enter into the world one way or another. Who knows how, but it will get there. And so there are nine months of waiting, wondering how it will happen. And then there are four to 48 terrifying, horrible, uh, they're going to be great for Katie, wherever she is, (laughs) but kind of painful hours, exhausting waiting. But one way or another, the world will be changed because someone has joined it because God is not finished. So the groanings of creation and suffering are real. We know this. We know this because cancer continues to plague people's bodies, young and old, because people experience displacement or deportation from their homes when they're just trying to seek refuge from abuse. We know this is true. We know that suffering is real because queer kids as young as the age of nine are de- uh, end up bullied to death. So the groaning of creation has not stopped since Paul's time, and you and I can testify. I know your story. You know some of mine, that those pangs and pains are real. But you know what? The hope of God is that God's reign is still happening around us. That someday God's reign will overcome us. It's not that all things, it it is not that all things work together for good or that everything happens for a reason and that should be justified. But this life and suffering are not worthless. This life and this suffering is not worthless because we serve a God who is powerful and who is mighty and who also endures with us, who understands what suffering is like. We serve a God who does not leave us alone but send a human child to teach us more about suffering and love and mercy and justice. We serve a God who brings others, our fellow siblings, this family of God to uplift us and teach us, friends who through their actions remind us that God's not Done, that we are not alone, that hate and oppression will not share victory in God's parade on the streets of God's kingdom. The hope of the people of God is a present reality. Well, it seems, I don't know about you, but this last week it felt like the world was crumbling around us, but it's also the hope that we hold that God is here and now and that the parade happens when those beads of love and mercy and justice are thrown out and we hold up our hand and grasp them, when we put those beads of love and mercy and justice around our necks and march around with pride. It's a terrifying, anticipatory waiting for this radical hope because our belief is not worthless. In fact, our life, our mistakes and our foibles and our failures and our grief and our loneliness are not the only things that make up creation. The terrifying radical of our faith is that radical thing about our faith is that God loves us. While everything doesn't work out for the good, 
While everything doesn't happen for a reason, for a happy reason, those painful, awful, terrifying things, those horrible things that happen, do not separate us from a God who loves us. Those painful, horrible, terrifying things do not have power over a God who has power over creation. And so, my friends, if you have mental illness that seems to block your brain from reminding yourself of the hope, if you have a body that seems to not do what you want it to do or looks different than it did before or than what other people expect of it, if you, my friends, are, have neurodiversity within who you are, Our God says, no, your brain and your chemical makeup and that body with stretch marks, it's glorious. Our shame and fear does not prevent God from loving us. Instead, God says, shame told you you would never survive. And guess what? You're here. You're here, beloved. So friends, God chases us down. God battles in the depths and swallows up death. We are promised like the last little drips of wine and says, "Mm, death is done. This is the radical hope of our faith as we believe that God will do this. Therefore, our hope in God means that while suffering and death are real, while everything, it isn't clear if they have a reason, that we can also live basking in the glory of a God who loves us, of a God who is mighty, of this God who walks and the reign of God seems to surround him. And then we just come crawling closer to the feet of Jesus, hoping just to touch the edge of his cloak and experience healing. This is the God we serve. Hope is to doubt and believe anyway. Nothing can hold us back from remembering God's love for us. Because I don't know if you know this. I bet you do know this. That there are lots of things that are real in this world. Sexism, racism, homophobia. Leaders in the world who lie to congressional uh, people holding them accountable and then their emails surface telling the lies that they really told. And also there are fires eating up our world and it seems like our atmosphere is tearing apart and it is fearful and terrible to be alive. And also our God is not done because we welcome children into our midst and they are a sign that God still has more to do, that God still has more to do with you and with me and with these tiny babies. And so... Despite all evidence to the contrary, the wilderness of creation is no match for our God who breathes life, who raises the dead, and who loves us so dearly. Will you pray with me? Mighty God, You spoke the world into being, and it was good. You poured out your spirit to the ends of the earth, that your children may return from exile as citizens in your kingdom and glory. 
So God, we ask that you take these walls that seem insurmountable, insurmountable, that separate us from one another, and oh, God, give us energy to tear down those walls. Take the anguish of our bodies in illness and sickness and loneliness and just unable to do what we want them to do and give us courage, God, to know that our bodies are not the only thing that defines us, but that we are known by our love for you. God, take our bank accounts, our credit histories, our student loans, these powerful systems that want to use us as prophets, and give us energy to stand up, to cry no more, and to work to create an abundant economy that only you, God, can imagine. May our world and her suffering be healed by your word of love and righteousness with abounds which abounds. Amen.